Good morning, Christ Covenant Church in Culpeper. The title of this sermon is Assurances for the Faithful. If you have a Bible, please open to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, while you're turning there, I'll let you know that this is the guy from last week, and it is another pre-recorded sermon due to our pandemic. Uh, and we'll be finishing 1 Peter, and the series will be over, and you'll be on to something else. And I'm preaching from my basement because my kids are upstairs and they're noisy. And if you think it's odd listening to a pre-recorded sermon, uh, trust me, it's it's much stranger to be preaching one in your basement. Um, but we're going to make the most of it, and I hope that God blesses you. So if you found 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, let's read it and get into our sermon. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And may God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of his written word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, though we are part, we pray that through your spirit and through your word we'll be united and we will be uh, worshiping you this morning and grateful that you have communicated in history that we have the written word and we have your spirit to illuminate. We pray that, that that's just what you'll do, that you will help us to understand, to obey, to receive. God, that you would be uh, pleased with this moment to change us more into the image of Jesus. And we do pray against this virus. We pray against its spread, against the death that it's bringing. We pray for those who are working hard, risking their own lives to try to help those who are sick. We pray that this will soon go away and we can get back to a normal life and normal Sunday mornings. We pray that you would have your way in this pandemic, that, that you would bring about revival and uh, less worldliness and, and more thoughts of Christ and uh, all, the, all the wonderful things that you might do through this. We pray that we would see that and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just watched 
uh, Bruce Almighty again with my kids. Uh, it's an older Jim Carrey film. Uh, if you haven't seen it and you have young ones, it might not be appropriate. It's PG-13, but uh, it's about a guy who is self-absorbed. He has his career goals. He wants to be the anchor of the news station that he works at. He's not happy doing local news. Um, and he really doesn't understand his giftedness because he has this, this vision of himself that isn't, that isn't accurate. And therefore, he has a lack of gratitude. He's so bent on accomplishment and getting that, those accolades and the sense of, of who he ought to be that he's taking everything for granted around him, including his, his girlfriend, etc. Um, and as the movie progresses, he starts, to, he starts to say things that you probably have thought in times of trial, where you start to get depressed and angry and bitter with God. And you may not have, you might not have said them out loud, but you, you probably have thought them in some form or format in your life. And, and, and at least he's, he's having a showdown with God, and that's, that's accurate, because that's who we're really upset with. We want to be in charge. We want to get what we want, and we're not in control. God is, and so we get bitter with him. And he's not answering our prayers the way we want. He's not giving us what we want, and, and we can even get depressed. Um, this is particularly true when you are in trial. Remember, First Peter is a book about suffering and trials and persecution. And last week, we talked about difficult circumstances bringing doubts in your life about the goodness of God, the presence of God. Is he, does he care? Is he listening? Is he sovereign? Uh, and that, that crisis of faith will lead you into misbehaving. You'll start to indulge yourself with some of your favorite sins. You'll start to medicate yourself. And then you'll also become very introspective. And you can begin to have an identity crisis. Um, and in all these ways, we become like a brute beast before God. We, we get so consumed with self. Just like this Bruce Almighty. We, we have a driving need to be special. And when you're suffering, it, it kind of confronts that underlying presupposition that everything in my life should go well and I should be able to get what I want. And it, no matter what it is that you're, you're after, whether it's you want to be beautiful, you want to be wealthy, you want to be seen as uh, powerful, uh, you want you know, respect, you want to feel successful, uh, and all those, those forms of self-interest, if you are being successful with that, you, you will think that you're better than other people. And you'll, you'll act in a glib kind of way. Uh, and, and when you're failing or when suffering confronts and changes your circumstances and, and bars you from what you think you need, you can get uh, depressed and you can have self-loathing and kind of the dark side of pride. You can even begin to hero worship other humans who, who are meeting uh, your expectations of what a good life is. And opposite of all that self-interest is just being humbly assured in your identity in the gospel. That you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior who validates you as a worthy person because you bear his image and he has suffered and died on your behalf. And the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer, the giver of every good gift, he says you are worthy. 
you have meaning because you have meaning to him and that is the ultimate source of value and if and if you can if you can receive that then you can have less fuss about you and you're able to serve to give and to love uh, and concern yourself with other people um, and since Christ has suffered for us uh, we need to be assured of his love and stop seeking our own self-centeredness so Peter I'm going to break this into three sections and the first is kind of his premise well, he says, this is uh, who I am and how I, I have the right to, to exhort you. And the second is the body of his exhortation. And then the third are his words of encouragement. Um, but the, the passage overall, the thrust of the passage, even though it's, it's uh, an exhortation, is to give you assurance that you are, in fact, very special to God. Um, and we'll look at that as we go. So the first point is this. Uh, verse 1, Peter says, I'm exhorting you as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. This is Peter's premise for bringing his exhortation. Um, and the, the assurance here is that we are part of a very special lineage. That Peter says he's a fellow elder. And our, our church elders, not just uh, there in Culpeper, but at, in large, and by extension, all of our leaders, and, uh, you know, we're, as we hold to the apostolic message, we are in that, that rich heritage of Peter and the apostles and the disciples of Christ who walked with him, which means that we're, we're God's very special people. And in, on one side of the coin, our elders, our leaders, are in the company with Peter, the apostle, who's a fellow elder. And the other side of that coin is Peter is a common fisherman. And we're just common people. You know, good old blue-collar Peter, who is called away from fishing and becomes a, a, a great power in the kingdom of God, uh, that can happen to any common person because God uses weak and foolish things. Um, by way of tangent, uh, if you have Catholic friends, uh, they may have argued with you that Peter is the first pope of the Catholic Church because of Matthew 16, where Jesus says that upon this rock I will build my church, and Petros meaning Peter, upon Peter. Um, but he, this is one of the places I would point to. There are others. Uh, the, he calls himself a fellow elder. Uh, he, he doesn't refer to himself as any kind of pope or head of other apostles. Uh, he's, he's just one of the elders. Uh, and I believe that in Matthew 16, Jesus is saying, not that I will build my, my church upon Peter, but upon Peter's profession, that the foundation of the church is the, the proclamation that Jesus is the Christ. Um, so that, I give you that not to... Uh, so you can argue with Catholics, but that it might serve the kingdom in some way. And okay, tangent over. So point one again is that we are part of a covenant community that goes back through history to Peter, to the apostles, and, and primarily to Jesus, because Peter is an authorized representative of the Christ. And even further back into the Old Testament, where God was speaking his oracles through thousands of years of history, with all the expectations, the foreshadows, the types of Christ, and Peter says he's seen firsthand the sufferings of Jesus. 
and that gives him the right to speak, but he's not a pope. He's a fellow elder. Um, he has a clear perspective that even in his suffering, even in seeing other people suffer, he's going to be able to exhort them to live a certain way. And that leads us to our second point, the body of his exhortation. Um, and he starts off with elders. Now, I want to... I want to talk about elders, and I'll keep saying the word elder, and you know that, that technically I'm referring to those who are leading a church, but I, I want you to take this into your own heart if you're not an elder. Maybe you've been an elder, you'll be an elder, but just by extension, if you're a leader of any kind, are you an employer, a coach or a mentor, a parent, a teacher, or any, basically any Christian, because our leaders are supposed to be representatives of the body. So everyone needs to, to listen to this exhortation, particularly elders, but all of us. This is what God is wanting from his people, because you're an example of Christ, whether you like it or not. Uh, you know, back in the day, I, was, uh, I watched Charles Barkley, and he would, he would act up, and people would complain, and he would say, hey, I'm not a role model. And everybody said, yes, you are. You can say you're not a role model. But you play in the NBA, and lots of people are looking up to you and looking at your behavior, and you're not modeling what we want in society. Uh, likewise, if you're a Christian, if you bear the name of Christ, you're an example of Christ to somebody, or you ought to be. And somebody's watching your life. Okay, so don't think this is only for elders. Uh, but he makes, uh, he makes several comments, six of them. Three of them are positive, and three of them are negative, and they coincide with one another. And the first juxtaposition is that an elder ought to be willing to serve, uh, exercising oversight, versus uh, not being under compulsion. Um, I mean, they, they shouldn't take this, this role begrudgingly. Because all service, all, all ways that you use your gifts and edify the body can be a burden at times. And certainly long meetings and when you have... Uh, sin issues in the church. These can be exhausting parts of being an elder. But God doesn't want you to embrace that position uh, begrudgingly because it's necessary or it's needed or you feel guilted into it or, gosh, we need to have a certain number of elders and I guess I'll do it. He, he really wants you to be willing to serve in this way. So you need to take it as a call from God. So by extension, again, whatever it is that you're doing, uh, you want to you want to adjust your your mood, uh, your outlook on it. That this is an opportunity for you to serve the Lord, um, and that brings us to the second juxtaposition. He says that he wants them to be eager versus being for a shameful gain. So, it, in other in other words, eager to help Jesus and His cause, not eager for self. And this is where I want to camp out for just a minute, because this is what is going back to Bruce Almighty and our, our sense of value, our self-worth, and uh, trying to find that through a variety of ways we can use other people for shameful gain. It doesn't have to be just for sex or money, like uh, people do that in the, in the pastorate even. That happens. Um, but it, it could be just someone who's, who's acting like a smarty pants, who just loves being up front, wants to be in the middle of, of the community, be at the, the point of attention, the one who gets all the questions asked, um, 
you know, and deep inside is that 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 need to be special. Um, you know, I have to have this position to validate myself, my life. Uh, when I was in college, I was pre-med. I remember talking to a, a friend of mine who was so determined to be a doctor. I wasn't sure at the time, but I was asking why he wanted to be a doctor. And he told me that, that doctors are respected, that he has always looked up to doctors, and when they walk around the ER or a hospital, people are saying, yes, sir, and they're following their commands, and he just wanted to be in that position. Um, and I thought, yeah, I, I don't know if that's a good reason to become a doctor. Um, I hope it's to help people and to bring healing. And um, I sure am grateful for those who are doctors right now. Uh, but I can pick on my own uh, career. There are lots of pastors I know that their ministry is driven by a narcissistic machine inside of them. Uh, they want so badly to, to be respected. This is true uh, wherever you go, but I've seen it a lot in the PCA where there are guys who love to study, they love to read books, and they spend a lot of their time in the office, and then they are in a denomination that really values that. And so when they drop names and when they can cite references and they have these intellectual conversations showing how well-read they are, they feel powerful. Um, and if you're not aware of this in yourself, this tendency uh, to take for yourself, then you're, you're dangerous. You're going to hurt people. Um, and then the third juxtaposition goes right along with it. He says that he wants elders to be examples to the flock versus being domineering. Um, you know, if you're an example, you're trying to show Jesus when you're domineering, you're just, you're just a boss man trying to be in control. And Peter is saying, we don't need overlords. We need under shepherds. We need examples of Christ that are helping the people of God by loving them and encouraging them. And yes, exhorting them and confronting them and looking into their lives and trying to help them mature by pointing to Jesus in their own weaknesses not lording over them and not doing uh, their, their position in life, whether it be an employer, an elder, a teacher, a parent, for selfish gain. How many times have you had a conversation with someone that went on for like 90 minutes and you didn't speak a single word? You couldn't get a word out. And after 90 minutes of them just, just uh, almost like they, they think you're a garbage bin where they can just dump all of the words they need to use in that day. And you just feel so used. Listen, we need people who are self-aware if they're to be leading our churches, if they're to be leading uh, families, leading schools and businesses. Self-awareness is a good thing. Um, and, and this job of, of trying to love and support and build a church can be exhausting. It's often thankless and heavily criticized because we all are so broken. And the best way that you can be a leader is like I said last week, you wanna be above reproach. It's knowing what God would have you be and then confessing your sin and inability and pointing everyone, including yourself, to Jesus. Because that's the truth. That's the way, that's the life, Jesus. 
not you and and your accolades and, and your academia or uh, how good looking you are, how successful you are, whatever whatever floats your boat. Um, and you know, people, when you when you take upon uh, the burden of of giving them oversight, and you do have to enter into tough love, they can hate you for it. They will rebel against you because they don't want to hear it. Uh, they just want God to be like, uh, you know, that, that Santa Claus in the sky. But God has loved us well enough that he's given us under shepherds. So verse 5 says, be subject to those elders. Uh, don't make it hard on them. Give them proper honor. Um, God has provided the structure of the church for our mutual growth in grace. So then he, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about submitting to your authorities, but then he says to all of us, we need to be clothed with humility. That God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let me say that again. God is in opposition to those who are about their own interests. But he gives grace Grace, the acronym God's riches at Christ's expense. He gives unmerited favor of God Almighty to who? To those who are humble. Listen to this quote from J.I. Packer about what it means to be a humble person. He says, They have learned honestly and from their hearts to regard, I'm sorry, to regret all the dehumanizing and subhuman things in which they have been involved as wanderers in this lost world, and who now in humility want only the will of God. You know, when I was growing up, I have a younger brother, and I wanted my younger brother to look up to me. I wanted him to love me and adore me, and so I went about as, as in a childish way, trying to show him all my glory. You know, I was, I was always winning. I was always strong. I was successful. I was trying to, to, to market myself to him. Um, and it came to a surprise when I was older that he didn't love me at all. He actually hated me. You know, he didn't want any free advice. He didn't want, because um, I was using him. And that was, that was difficult uh, for me to, to receive uh, and shameful, and, and yet God did his work in that to humble me, uh, to bring me to a place where I realized uh, people don't want to see how great you are. I mean, look at social media. How many times someone, they've been working out and they take a picture in the mirror, you know, just getting a little workout in, but their, their abs are shredded, and you know they're just trying to show off. Uh, they want everyone to, to see how great their body looks. Uh, people are broken and they're needy, and we have to learn in the school of hard knocks, that we would become humble because God doesn't want us to be proud and arrogant in using other people and hurting people. He wants us to be hungry for his grace. And this is another quote. This one's from A.W. Tozer. The humble person knows he is weak and helpless as God declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that in the sight of God, he is of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. So, Peter is saying we need, we need Christian examples from, from elders following in the footsteps of Peter on down 
through, through all areas of life. Let's just apply that. And, and that means that they need to be humble because Jesus is meek and mild, the lowly Jesus, who has all the power, uh, all of the, the, the honor and the glory, and he leaves it behind and becomes this baby that is born and uh, laid in a manger and is going to suffer under the law and then go to the cross for his people. And that brings us to the third point, Peter's words of encouragement. Um, again, the premise gives us assurance that, that God has in history this heritage of the, the historic redemptive movement of which we are a part of. And then his exhortation, we have the assurance that God is caring for us by establishing under shepherds and people to faithfully watch over us. We have a faithful witness from the past, and we have a, a faithful community that we can participate in. And then his words of encouragement here, and in, in, in the third point, is that we have the chief shepherd, Jesus himself. And then I have a lot of, of little subpoints of uh, these points of assurance to add to that. In verse four, it says that this this chief shepherd Jesus, when he appears, he will we will receive the unfading crown of glory. In other words, we are image bearers, and in our glorification, we will look like the king, and he will bestow some of his glory upon us who are utterly uh, not worthy of it. Um, but of course, we'll take those thrones, and uh, I'm sorry, those crowns, and we'll throw them at the throne of grace because we know that to Jesus be all the glory. But just think of this shepherd that is willing, who is the ultimate king, to, to put a crown on your head. Uh, this same Jesus, remember, he gives grace to the humble. He, he is looking to provide us with what we are lacking. He wants to support and love and give and encourage and grow us up into Jesus. He's not using us. He came knowing that we like to use and consume other people, and he said, I will be the sacrifice, and you can consume me. And then he goes on in verse 6, say, well, then humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he may exalt you. And we certainly, uh, that, that just baffles me. I don't need to be exalted if you really preach the gospel to yourself, but it, it's just another powerful part of God's love that, that you know, he put in me a, a need to subdue, to bear fruit. You know, that's part of his creative work in us. Um, and he says, you're going to have your moment. I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to let you do your thing. Uh, whether that's being a, a great parent or a great preacher or uh, a great business person, whatever, uh, he's gonna he's gonna use and cultivate you to the point where you can you can make a contribution. How how kind is God to include us in His work of redemption in His work of subduing the earth and displaying His glory? Then verse seven it says to cast all of our anxieties upon Him. Because he cares for us. We have this chief, chief shepherd who is, uh, who is not distant, who is not far off. He cares and he wants you to unload those anxieties upon him because he's going to listen and he's going to act. By the way, uh, how does anxiety relate to a lack of humility, uh, to, to living in pride? You know, anxiety is a fear 
a fear that your uh, that your life is in peril or that things are not going to be what you thought they would be. Um, your life isn't going to turn out the way that you wanted. You're not going to get this sense of value or this mate or this. Uh, you're not going to have children or you're not going to have this career. And you're fearing that. You're worried about it. And that causes anxiety. Um, and I had a, a bout with this. I almost lost an eye from a work-related injury. And it, I only have one good eye. And it was uh, I was about to lose the retina because I a piece of wood had flown off a saw and hit me in the eye with such force that I couldn't see out of it. And and it took weeks for my eye to kind of calm down and, and get out of the danger zone. And for those weeks, I was terrified that I was going to be blind, uh, that they would try to, my retina would come off, and they'd try to reattach it, and it wouldn't work. And, you know, the, the how your mind starts to race, and it's almost like an inflammation in your brain, This the, how anxiety can start to to run your life. And it wasn't until... I I stopped and I opened the Bible and I meditated. And I, one of the Psalms that I really looked at was, uh, if the Lord doesn't build the house, then I'm laboring in vain. If the Lord doesn't watch over the city, I labor in vain. And I get up early and I go late to, to bed, eating the bread of anxious toil. But to his beloved, he gives sleep. You see, that's a faith issue involved. And sometimes anxiety gets out of control, but you can always dump it. You can always go to Jesus and just and just use all those words that you might want to dump on someone else. But they're there for you too. But Jesus is always there. He is listening. And he says right here to cast those anxieties upon him. And I, I did that. I, I, really, I waited and I prayed and I surrendered. And I said, okay, Lord. If you want me to be blind, if I'm going to be blind, then I will, I will accept that. And after I came to terms with that, the anxiety left. And I had not slept well in days, and I fell asleep right there on the couch. And I rested. Uh, so this chief shepherd, he knows that you're going through turmoil and trial and suffering. That's part of his plan for your life. But his goal is that you will learn in humility daily dependence, to take refuge in him who is able, who cares, who loves you, that you can surrender all that junk. You can surrender all your needs of self to Jesus and instead worship him as you daily depend upon him. Now, moving on, verse 8 and 9, it tells us to be sober-minded and watchful for that there is someone who is trying to harm us. But verse 9 says, we can resist him. And James says, you resist the devil and he shall flee. Because the name of Jesus is terrifying to him. Our shepherd is so great that we can stand firm in our faith and we are arrayed with armor against the evil of the world. And Jesus has provided us that confidence. On with this, uh, the assurances of our great shepherd. Look at 10 even though, uh, well, 9 mentions our suffering. Yes, but 10 says that God himself will restore us. He will confirm us. He will establish, strengthen us. Um, you know, I've been to Scotland, and up in the highlands there are lots of uh, real green, grassy hills with giant rocks and cliffs and crags, and they're covered with sheep. 
And I've heard that sometimes a, a, a sheep will look down to a little bluff that has a lot of untouched green, lush grass and kind of jump down or scramble down some rocks to get to that grass and then can't get back up to where the other sheep are. And uh, I've been told that shepherds won't go down and get them. Uh, they, they won't fetch them right away because the sheep will just do the same thing again. But more importantly, when they come down after the sheep, it might, might scare them and they run off the cliff and die. So they have to wait. They wait until the sheep either consumes that patch of grass or is getting weary and faint and lays down. And after the sheep is, is, is weakened and laying down, then the shepherd will go down and get that, that animal and rescue them. And, and, and that's how God deals with us. He has plans for our suffering, but they're for our good. And he is going to restore us after we've suffered a little while. He is going to confirm us, strengthen us, establish us. He's going to resurrect us. He's going to glorify us. We're going to have, a, have more of his image for all eternity. We'll be closer in relationship. We will see the glories of God. And that's because Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. And then verse 11, it says that God is ruling forever. That in his loving righteous dominion. This will go on and on. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Peter says, this is the true faith. And in verse 14, it talks about God giving peace. So then look at all of these words of assurance to us. We have a heritage, a lineage going back through the ages. And our elders, and by extension, all of us who are in some point of leadership, we are following in the footsteps of Peter, the apostle, a commoner, uh, and we can, we can do great things for the Lord as we participate in the apostolic proclamation that Christ, Jesus is the Christ, and he is the head of the church. Secondly, we have this, this construct, this community, where there are under-shepherds, where there are people looking after us to help us because God loves us. And those can't just be anybody. They need to be someone who is self-aware. Who knows how they will try to take from someone who knows that they, they are going to try to elevate themselves. They're going to feel a little puffed up when they, get, when they get ordained because everyone has this need to be special. But they can acknowledge that if they're mature Christians and they can preach the gospel to themselves and they can even publicly confess it. Hey, I really want people to think I'm a, a swell preacher. I really want people to think that I'm, I'm some kind of spiritual giant. And I'm not. I'm a beggar like you and I need Jesus. That, that is good leadership. That's truth telling. Um, and then he gives us all of these descriptions of what a loving chief shepherd we have. That Jesus is going to see us through. He has suffered for us. Peter has witnessed it. And, and so in your suffering, uh, you, in your crisis of faith, in that moment where your identity is rocked, you don't know where God is, does he care about you? Listen to the word of God. He cares. Throw those anxieties upon him. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Stand firm in your faith. God's testing you. But listen, he has entered into human history and he has suffered in your place, a suffering that you uh, that would take eternity in hell to equal. And he's done that for you, and he's going to let you share in his glory. So look at the book of First Peter, a book about suffering. 
that no matter what your circumstances, you don't, you don't forsake your morality. You don't forsake the Lord. Don't forsake your identity. You can trust Jesus no matter what. Jesus is going to win this battle. He has done it in the cross, and he's going to confirm it and establish it in his kingdom. And we can rest in that, rest assured, and we can live a life that is pleasing to God as we live by faith. And he's given us all of these points of assurance. God's got you. He's got you in his grace. He's got purposes. He's got plans. You need to believe that. I want to finish the sermon by speaking a doxology. You know, my wife has had lots of trials, as I have. And I have memorized this doxology in 1 Peter 5. And I would speak it over her in times of her uh, despair. Uh, because it's like, it's like balm. It's like medicine to our souls. So hear it. If you're suffering, if you're, if you're, uh, you're convicted, you're, you're in a trial, um, hear these words uh, of Jesus. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Let's pray. God, as we look at your word, we do ask that you will bless us, that you will help us. Whatever I've said that doesn't make sense, I pray that that uh, you'll, you'll clear it up through your spirit. And things that I've said that are wrong, may they be forgotten. May your truth be heralded. May... Uh, May you be magnified and let us, Lord, be self-aware and humble and receiving uh, the goodness of the gospel. May we be deeply satisfied as we imbibe in the fountainhead of life. Jesus Christ, uh, uh, abide with us and help us abide with you. Uh, We're grateful for the structures you've given us. We're grateful for the, the history, the heritage that we share. Um, encourage us, support us, strengthen us, put us forward in your purposes to to, uh, use our gifts and to share the glory of Jesus for his name's sake. Amen.